Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Amazing. Well, hello, HeartStrong family. Love that we get to teach today. And Pastor Lori did an incredible job yesterday getting us launched into Judges 1 to 3. So exciting of the story that we are unpacking today. I mean, I'm pretty biased. This is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Um, but it's quite the journey we are on in Judges and a difficult journey. Like Lori said, Pastor Lori said yesterday, there's lots of gory details. There's a lot of heartbreak. Um, But judges is something that we all can learn from because we're still living in that way. We're all the same. We all need to take check of our hearts. So before we begin, let's just open with the scripture and then we're going to open in prayer. And then I'm going to give kind of a summary of what we're going to be diving into. And then I'm going to jump right into chapters four and five of judges today. So our scripture today is John this month is John 8, 28 to 32. So let's say this together. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. Well, let's pray into that this morning. Father, that is our heart. We want to abide in your word, and you are the living word. So we abide with you today. Thank you that you are truly making us your disciples, following your heart. And we want to live in freedom. We want to live in truth and freedom. And we thank you for that you have set us free So we take on that clothing of of righteousness and freedom that you have provided. Thank you, God, that you are with us. And we dwell and we abide with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have your way, Holy Spirit. May the word come into our spirit and may it change us and transform us today. Well, the book of Judges, I know Pastor Lord gave an overview today, and it is a chaotic period in Israel's history. So I'm just going to read something here and I'm going to dive into the summary. It is under the leadership of, starts under the leadership of Joshua, Israel had generally conquered and occupied the land of Canaan, but large areas remained yet to be possessed by the individual tribes. So Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord continually, and in those days Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. By deliberately serving foreign gods, the people of Israel broke their covenant with the Lord, and as a result, the Lord delivered them into the hands of various oppressors. Each time the people cried out to the Lord, he faithfully raised up a judge to bring deliverance to his people. And these judges were whom the Lord chose and anointed with his spirit were military and civil leaders. The book of Judges not only looks back to the conquest of Canaan led by Joshua and records the conditions in Canaan during the periods of the Judges, 
but it also anticipates the establishment of the monarchy in Israel. Now, the book of Judges illustrates the consequences of breaking fellowship with God through idolatry and seeing the continual drift to disobedience makes one less and less confident of man, but it can lead us to become more and more dependent on the mercy and grace of God. Though Israel kept forsaking him, God kept working with him. He is a covenant-keeping God. The Lord is our judge. He alone is our deliverer. And we see this through his work as he appointed deliverers and empowered them with the Holy Spirit to do exploits. He responds to the penitent heart, and the Lord is faithful and his love is constant. So today we'll be covering Judges 4 and 5, and this is an epic story, of, and we start with the fourth judge, Deborah, in the Bible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple verses, and then I'm going to do an explanation. So that's kind of how I'm going to go through the scripture today. Okay, so let's start with verses 1 to 3. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And we will see that all through the book of Judges. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of the army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth, Hagoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years, he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now, the pattern of judges repeats and a new story begins. After the previous judge deliverer dies, Israel returns to doing evil, including worshiping the gods of Canaan. Now, the Lord allows Israel to be subdued and overtaken by Jabin, who rules from Hazar, which was an important Canaanite stronghold in the northern Galilee region. The passage of scripture begins to focus on the role of Sisera, who is a Canaanite general. Now, Sisera has command over 900 iron chariots. Now this was crazy advancement in that time. And on this flat plain, that was disastrous for Israel. This is a great advantage to in that era. And also says that Sisera harshly oppressed the children of Israel. So we can see here that he was a mighty and cruel warlord. And it took Israel years of bondage before they cried out to the Lord. So in verses four to five, it goes on to say, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lebedoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now, Deborah was a prophetess who God raised up. And I love this, as we mentioned in the pre, the pre, um, as we were talking, that she sat under a palm tree. I mean, I just have loved that so much. She had a palm tree named of over her, Deborah's palm tree. I love that. She's my kind of girl. I love that image. And she was calm under the palm. At Mother's Day, that was kind of our slogan. Stay calm, stay calm under the palm. This mighty warrior is appointed by God as a woman is appointed by God as a judge, prophetess, and also a warrior, which is in this case as a judge, not her primary role, but she agrees to step into that role. We'll read more about how she ends up going into battle soon. And as a prophetess, God is the one who grants her the gift of prophecy. God grants this to men and women, and they are to practice it appropriately. And we also see this in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. The Bible tells us of several other prophetesses, Miriam in Exodus 15, 20, 
Huldah, 2 Kings 22:14, Anna in Luke 2:36, and Philip's four daughters in Acts 21, 8-9. Now the Lord responds by speaking through Deborah, a well-known and well-respected prophetess and judge, and she lives in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, many biblical scholars believe that Deborah was a wife as well. However, in Hebrew, the same word is used for both woman and wife. So we don't know with certainty if Deborah was a woman of Labadoth, a place, or if she was the wife of Labadoth, a person. Now, Deborah also fulfills correctly the English term judge, which is one to settle disputes and deciding matters. And she does this for Israel. Now, this was a role that originated back when Moses appointed helpers to assist him in resolving arguments among the people that we'll read about in Exodus 18. Deborah's name also means honeybee. She's a queen bee, honeybee. Deborah judged Israel at that time, and she was a woman greatly used by God and was given powerful leadership abilities and skills for such a time. She was appointed, anointed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit for this work. She is one of the most influential women in the Bible, for she is known for her wisdom and her courage and her leadership. She is the only woman of the Old Testament who is known for her own faith and action, not because of her relationship to her husband or another man. Now, verses 20, now verses 67. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abraham, who, okay, excuse all the names, okay, and all the, the places. I'm just going to say that up front. I'm just going to read through them. So you can check how it's actually said but I'm just going to say them as I go, are Kadesh and Naphtali and said to them, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army and his chariots and the multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. Now, Deborah summons a man named Barak. And Barak's name means lightning. I love the meaning of name. So I had to put that in there. His name means lightning. And he was the commander of Israel's army. We can now move on to verses eight to 10. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went, to, went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command and Deborah went up with him. Now Barak's response is unfortunately timid. He agrees to go only if Deborah will go with him. He might have worried that recruiting troops would be difficult without her, and it showed also that he trusted more in Deborah's relationship with God than in his own relationship and trusting God, despite Deborah already telling him that God had promised Israel victory. Now, Deborah agrees to grow, but she prophesies that Barak will lose the glory of capturing Sisera, and the credit for defeating the Canaanite general will go to a woman. Now, we would expect that this prophecy would be fulfilled by the woman and prophetess Deborah, but this prophecy will be fulfilled unexpectedly by someone we do not expect. Nevertheless, Barak and all who went with him showed real courage and trust in God to go against Sisera and his army, and remember, his chariots, his nine 
hundred chariots of iron. They had essentially no weapons to fight with such a mighty and advanced army in comparison to this mighty ironclad army that was coming against them. In addition, God led them to fight on a plane, which put them at a great disadvantage compared to the forces with the chariots. Now let's go into verses 11 to 13. I'm just going to take a quick drink here. Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the Terebith tree at Zanan, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Ebonam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harashath Hegodim to the river Kishon. Now, here we go. Barak and Deborah returned to Kadesh and quickly recruit their forces who were prepared to fight the Canaanites. They arranged their army on Mount Tabor, as God had told Barak to do. And now the story pauses here, which seems like a random statement. It goes on to say, Heber is a Canaanite from the same people group as Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And we find this story in Judges 1.16. Now, most of these are friendly to Israel, but Heber will later be identified as an ally of Jabin. Now, this information is going to become really important later in the passage. So just pin that for just a moment. Verses 14 to 16. Let's jump in. Then Deborah said to Barak, up. For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. I love that. Up. I can just see her coming in saying, up. What a command. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord rooted Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Heresha, Egoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Now Barak moved to the battlefield, which is an act of faith, since as we've said, this is a plane. And the army he was facing, he had a great disadvantage with because they were chariots on a plane. But because of Barak's great trust in God, God granted Israel a great victory against all odds. Now, this is a really neat quote from that scripture. The Lord rooted Sisera and all his chariots. We know that in Judges 5, 4 to 5, and we also see it in the next chapter, five verses, verse, um, chapter 5, verses 21, that God helped Israel to victory by bringing a flash flood. Now, the muddy conditions made the chariots of iron a hindrance, not a help in battle. Certainly, this was done from heaven on Israel's behalf. You can imagine muddy, flooded waters and mucky chariot wheels. Deborah's words, has not the Lord gone out before you, was an encouragement that God, as their king, would go up before his people into battle and fulfill his promise. Sisera apparently sees the defeat coming, so he runs in the opposite direction as his forces are rooted and all are destroyed. Now, verses 17 to 22. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of jail. The wife of Heber, here we are again, let's unpin. Here is that footnote that we had made mention of. The wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, 
turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink and covered him. Then he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Hebrew's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came up to meet him and said to him, come, I will show you the man who, man who you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. Oh, man. Now, here the story takes an unexpected turn. God promises that the glory and credit for the victory will go to a woman. And this woman would defeat Sisera. We would think, as we had said, it was going to be Deborah. Deborah but God had someone else destined in mind. He instead uses the wife of Kenite. Remember this reference in verse 11 to accomplish the end of Sisera. And this is why it was important to be mentioned in verse 11. Because there was peace between the people of Sisera and the people of Jael, he had reason to believe he could trust Jael's invitation. Now, why he went into Jael's tent? A little sketchy. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us in the Bible why. We can't assume anything, but he chose to go into her tent. He obviously felt safe going in there, not just because of the relationship between Jael's husband and their whole area and Sisera, but he went into Jael's tent and also God had a plan here. Now, Jael covered Sisera with a blanket and offered him milk. And this was a sign of hospitality. Now, once Sisera is asleep, Jael picks up a hammer and ten peg, which she would have been very familiar with. The peg in this case would have been a sharp wooden spike about one inch. Jael knew how to handle a tent peg because it was a custom job of a woman to set up the tents. And as Sisera is sleeping, she strikes the spike through the soft spot on the side of Sisera's head, drives it through his skull into the ground. And this gory slaughter is summarized. Honestly, I actually had a chuckle with almost a comical understatement. And so he died. <laughs> I, I guess so. So he died. Yes, that would be the conclusion. I just love those moments in scripture. I was like, da, da, da. so he died. Now, Kundal writes, as a, just in my correspondence, it said this in my concordance, any pursuer would hardly think to look in a woman's tent for any man, let alone a weary fugitive, for this would be a breach of etiquette. So perhaps this is what we had alluded to before. Perhaps that's where Sisera felt the safest. No one would look for him in there. Now, Jael broke her promise to Sisera and killed a man that her own husband had made peace with. And even though Jael's motives are not stated, God uses her and the broken promise of peace to accomplish his purpose. Sisera fought against God's people on behalf of a leader who had harshly oppressed the people of Israel. And God brought death, a gory one at that, upon him. Charles Spurgeon preached a wonderful sermon. I want to make mention of this. I think this is so powerful on this passage called Sin Slain. Sin Slain. We can take Sisera as a type of sin and his master, Jabin, as a type of Satan. Charles insisted in his message that we should not be content to merely defeat sin as Barak defeated Sisera in battle. 
We should not rest until sin is dead and slain through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, but that was so profound. Verses 23 to 24. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Sin slain. I love that. That was just going through my head, that, that message. That's kind of where you took. Take it right, slay it all the way. So the destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan, was slain. The final verses of this chapter repeat Jabin's name and three and the title three times, emphasizing the relentless and thorough victory granted by God. Israel is once again freed from oppression. And it says that when we read, and the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger. The battle against Sistra was important, but it did not end the struggle. The war was not over until Jabin was destroyed. Israel could not think the war was over just because a great battle was won. We now move into chapter five and Judges five begins with Deborah and Barak singing praises to their God. It's a song who had overcome their enemies for, who, when God had overcome their enemies for them. And joyful times arose when Deborah arose in Israel as a mother. She was a mother in Israel. She sang historical records and praises to God. She cursed those who did not come to help Israel and blessed those that did, namely Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. They even gloated over Sisera and how his mother was waiting for him to come home, but he was killed in battle. They were victorious. Verses one to two. So we are going to read this chapter, this song that was written. It says in verses one to two, then Deborah and Barak, the son of Ebonam, sang on that day, saying, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. The song is attributed only to Deborah and Barak's role in the is, is attributed only to Deborah, and Barak's role in the composition and performance of the song is often overlooked. For leadership is important in the work of God. God calls leaders to actually lead, for there's a genuine need for leaders and their leadership, especially in the body of Christ. And just as a conductor must lead, the orchestra is ready and willing to follow the conductor's leadership. When the conductor does his job and the orchestra does his job, then beautiful music is made. And this is a song. We were each made with different spiritual gifts that are meant to work together as a song of worship to God. Verses three to five. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds were poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. Now, God had won the victory for Israel over Sisera by sending a great rain. And that's why it says the heavens poured. In this song, Deborah recalled a time when God did the same thing on behalf of Israel in the days of Exodus that we read in Deuteronomy 33.2. We are to remember that God's goodness does not just start today. It has been good to us for a long, long time and will continue. Verses 6 to 8. In the days of Shamgar, we talked about him, son of Anath, I love that in chapter in uh, chapter three, and the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. Let me just get another drink here. I have allergies today, so hold on one moment. I don't want to cough all the way through here. The highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. <clears throat> it ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. 
Now, not only was life hard under Israel's oppressors, but they also confiscated all weapons so the Israelites could not fight. Spiritually, we can learn from this as well, that Satan doesn't only want to oppress the Christian, but he wants to completely disarm the believer. He wants the believer to lay down the full armor of God that belongs to us in and through Jesus Christ that we read about in Ephesians 6. And then it says, until I, Deborah, arose. This wasn't necessarily pride in Deborah's part. She understood that God works through willing vessels and she was willing. And I want to say, God, I want to arise into the purpose that you called me to be right now today. We can all make that call. God, I want to arise. Verse nine goes on to say, my heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Deborah had a heart for other leaders and their work. Her vision was bigger than just getting her job done. She wanted to see the kingdom of God advanced, a true mother that cares about the children's children. I love that. Deborah also notes that leaders should take offer themselves willingly to God. Let's read on in verses 10 to 12. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinam. The song invites the civic leaders, along with Deborah and Barak, to tell the villagers in Israel the great things that God has done. The song encourages us to tell others of the great things God has done and is doing. It calls us to wake up and sing a song of praise to our God. Let's now read a larger portion, verses 13 to 18. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty from Ephraim and from those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Makar, um, Machar, Makar, rulers came down, and from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff, and the princes of Issachar were there with Deborah, as Issachar, so with Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have been searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on strips, on ships? Aster continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Nephali also on the heights of the battlefields. Deborah knew that God's help came from the people and the tribes of Israel, stirred to join in the battle. And she remembers and praises God for his help. Deborah also takes mention here of praising the tribes that also helped. But she also acknowledges that not every tribe was helpful and not every tribe joined in the battle. We're coming down the home stretch here. Verses 19 to 23. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh and the waters of Medigo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars and the courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the hooves, the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse his inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to help. It, they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. The battle was fought from the heavens. 
for God sent rain that stopped in effect its effectiveness of the Canaanite chariots as the water of Kishon flooded upon them. Now God still accomplished his work, but here you see that the city of Miraz was cursed because it had no part in it. Verses 24 to 27, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water, she gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordy bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, she pierced his head. She split and struck his temple. At her feet, he sank, he lay, he fell, he lay still. At her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. And verses 28 to 30 go on to say, the mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, why is this chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatters of his chariots? Her wisest, ladies, wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man, a girl or two? For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Now, this is a little footnote. Every war has consequences. And Deborah here is celebrating the consequences of Sisera's death and how it was in Israel's great favor and blessing to its people that he was defeated due to the dire consequences his victory would have had. She also makes note of the dire consequences for his mom, but celebrates what it did for Israel. How much better <clears throat> is it to be counted as one who loves God? For it says in verse 31, thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for 40 years, and that rest is found only in the presence of the Lord. So what lessons can we learn from today in this last minute? Number one, be obedient. If God is telling you to do something or go somewhere, despite your fears, listen to his call. He has plans that we cannot begin to understand, and hearts and lives may be changed by your obedience. Doing something out of our comfort zones can be terrifying, but faith was never promised to be easy. God desires to use you. JL never could have imagined the greatness God had in store for her that day. She was courageous and stepped out. Be bold and be courageous. Be obedient. Number two, slay sin. I love that. Be ruthless with sin for desires to completely destroy you. So confess, repent, and allow the finished work of the cross and the power of the spirit to set you free. For whom the son is set free is free indeed. Daily surrender and daily slay. Number three, stand firm. We may not always know what the road ahead will look like, but we only need to know that God will faithfully guide us as he always has and always will. Stand firm in your faith and in his word. He is with us. He goes before us. Let's listen, love, and allow him to lead. Thank you for joining us today. Have you ever joined one of our live online Bible studies? When you become a HeartStrong member, you will have access to all of our live Bible studies. These studies are amazing because we get to do it together. We listen to the teaching and then we spend about 30 minutes discussing what we have learned. You will hear powerful testimonies, insights, and questions and prayer times from people like you and me. We would love to see you there. Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our live online Bible studies soon. 
Let's become heartstrong disciples together. <laughs>